I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the past few weeks, in the company of Emma Boal and Eddie Noonan, we've been following the story of over two decades of Frameworks films as they tell the stories of the lives and times of Blackpool, the Sunbeam Factory, the livelihoods of stonemasons in Set in Stone, and this week it's the turn of Ford's Memories of the Line. Emma explained how people were now coming to them to tell their stories because of the way they worked. You were approached to tell this story from the ground up, because you were starting to get a reputation at this stage, that Frameworks was the kind of company that was very collaborative. We've always loved that approach where people might come to us with an idea or, or a story that they'd like to tell. Mm. And, you know, we, we bring our kind of experience of filmmakers and, and they bring their stories and their expertise of, of their lives of whatever they've been doing. And it's very much a kind of a, a joint process then of of kind of teasing out the idea how we're going to tell it. Sometimes those people might appear in the film itself, but they, they would go right through the whole process with us, right through to the editing of the film and, you know, sit in the, the edit studio with us and shape the final piece to be sure then that at the very end of it, you know, the people are happy that, look, this is, this is our story, this is what we wanted to tell. And, you know, there's a sense of ownership then at the end of it. Yeah. So in this case, we were approached by Bill Daly, who had worked in Fords for many years and Bill was also a, a very good photographer. Luckily, he had taken a beautiful set of black and white photographs in Fords, particularly in the last years before it closed down. Yeah. And he had sort of put these away and forgotten about them to some extent. And then in 2017 was the centenary of the foundation of Fords in Cork. 2017, there was a lot of focus about Henry Ford and all of that, Yes. you know, which was which was great. He kind of got out his collection again and, and sort of went through it and thought, you know, this I'd love to do something with these. And I'd love to tell the story of the men who worked in Fords and, you know, just what their experience was like, because that hadn't really been told very much at that stage. So he approached us and, and that's how this whole project began. Eddie, when you started to interview the men, I suppose, they were telling you about the benefits, the job security what it was like to work for Fords. It was much sought after, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was one of the, the best paid jobs in Cork City at the time. If you got a job in Fords, you were, you know, you were earning good money. If you got a job in Fords, it was like a job for life. You know, that was your, your pension. It was more than just a job for life. There was also a Ford philosophy as well. And you were brought into the Ford family. Henry Ford always maintained that um, by increasing pay, you got better workers. And it was true. You had regular pay. 
your regular overtime, you had pension, and it was, you thought if you went in there at 18, you expected to be there until you retired. Security, that was the, that was the main thing. It, it was uh, obviously one of the best jobs in Cork. Um, that, that was the main thing, it was security. Uh, but then you became part of the Ford family. Uh, took about six months maybe before you got into that, into that kind of grip. Like, and then once you're part of the family, uh, and even to this day, you still meet your colleagues from Ford's and they're, 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 you know, it's, 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 like a, it's like a big Ford family. Now, I suppose a job for life is one thing, and Eddie, you have that experience yourself. The thought of working in one job for life could either be a good thing or a bad thing. That's right. I remember when I left school, I think one of my first big job was in CIE up in Capwell Garage as a messenger boy, and I remember my grandfather saying to me, uh, that's, a, that's a good pensionable job. And I was only 15 at the time, and I was just thinking, what, I'm going to be in here for the rest of my life? <laughs> So in Fords, there was ways and means of making the job interesting, wasn't there? That's right. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, the work was hard and, you know, it, it was an assembly line. So the cars kept coming and people talk about that sort of, there was always that pressure of the, the next car to do. So the work was hard and depending on where you were, it could be very monotonous in mm-hmm. some cases. In other parts, you know, more varied. But I think what what made it so enjoyable and such a great place to work for so many of the men was the kind of the the crack that went on, the camaraderie. And, you know, there was a huge amount of social clubs there as well. You know, people, depending on what you were interested in, if it was sports or if it was maybe photography, like in Bill's case, or the tops of the towns was a huge thing that, that uh, Fords every year would get a group together. And, and from the sounds of things and some of the photographs of the, the nights in the pub before and after sometimes, it, it was great fun altogether. Well, there was every sport was catered for. There was the, the soccer club, the GA club. Golf club, pitch and put club, bowling club. It was tops of the town. Tops of the town was um, was a, a commercial thing, run by players, cigarettes. That was great fun. That came up every year. Like we were talking last week in Set in Stone, there was a similar practice inside of Fords where people had a lot of nicknames for each other. Before we get around to that. There's a great story about a particular type of shop steward who gained a bit of a name for himself. <laughs> That's right. I suppose there were one or two strikes at the time. And uh, in one particular strike, there was a fairly militant guy who took extreme measures to uh, maybe stop things happening. There was another shop steward who shall remain nameless. Uh, he was uh, he, he, he was fairly militant gentleman. And we were uh, there was a picket outside the gate one day, and there was this 18-wheel truck came down delivering uh, parts to Fords. And he lay down in front of the truck, and he looked up at the driver, and he said, "Roll over me now, and you're a dead man." So, <laughs> so there was things like that, you know. Um, it, was, it was hilarious that, that, that you know um, everybody. The nicknames there were the Paris. He was a great man to talk. He talked and talked and talked all day. Then the parrot's son got a job in Fords, and he was called the Spadgy. <laughs> there was uh, balls of flour. There was shoulder of bacon. There was the quiet man, lovely man he was too. Well, of all the names they gave each other, one of them was the most notorious, and 
Jerry the Cock got a name because of one particular skill that he had. Do you want to give us a hint as to what that might have been? <laughs> yeah, I think he, he, he used to impersonate a cock. And that was his party piece. <laughs> and I think Michael Lennon tells that story really well. The one person I have to remember is Jerry the Cock. He was the first man I met as a work, as a workmate. And he was a very, very nice man. He was a very innocent man, funnily enough. And the reason he was called Jerry the Cock was he always maintained he could do the perfect sound of a cock crying out. He would say, like, that the, 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 the cocks in the, in the model farm, like, weren't, weren't useless, like, they weren't, they weren't all good, like, they hadn't a clue. And he was the, he was the one, like, you know, and he'd, then he'd start singing. And, of course, there was a fierce ribbing over this. And the big occasion then would have been Christmas. Jerry would take to the stage. They'd make up a stage for Jerry, and he'd have a makeshift microphone, and wire and all hanging out of it and this big and Jerry would start singing Puppet on the String. Now, Jerry thought he was a great singer, but Jerry hadn't a note in his head. And Jerry would start and then he'd hold a note, well, if you could call it a note, or else he'd do the, the cock and he'd hold the note there. And the whole place would go ballistic. The people from the trim line would come, the chassis, the whole factory. Can you imagine 600 people and they're coming over to see Jerry the cock like? The man had the note in his head, like, banging tools, banging dustbin lids, anything to make noise, like, a big chair, and Jerry was the star of the show. It was just magic, absolutely. So they put him into a talent competition in the Savoy at one stage, and the, to win the competition, uh, it was done on the, the, the clapometer system, where the, the loudest clap would win the competition. Jerry the car came out to do his party piece which was imitate a cock the audience was absolutely 60-70% full of Ford workers and he got the most rousing applause and he won the competition Now I suppose it wasn't something that could last forever and I suppose it goes down in history the day that Ford's and I suppose was the Dunlops as well they all went did they see the writing on the wall? Well, it was varied, you know. It was really interesting. Some people said they, they, they knew it was coming and there were kind of rumours months beforehand. Well, we knew we knew things were not good. There was constant rumours that the factory was going to close. Now, it has been said like that this was done by Ford. There's been kind of like the rumours about the rumours that this was kind of circulated to prepare people that, you know, it wasn't going to last forever but when it actually came I'd have to say the morning that I heard about the closure didn't expect it and then for other people it just seemed to have been an absolute bombshell they hadn't a notion and they were all called up to I think it was the canteen and you know it was just massive the impact of it was absolutely massive um you know as you say we, we talked about Sunbeam in one of the previous episodes with you and Dunlops as you as you said the Rome Dockyard as well was another big one all over the city and, and to happen in, you know, the 80s, which was a very bleak time in Cork, really, you know, even though this was many years later that we were making this, yeah. you could still sense the, the, the feelings that the men had for the place and just, you know, the devastation at the closure. I had no idea. And I, just the thing doesn't dawn on me that the place it was, I didn't think it could, it would. Never knew, never had any inkling whatsoever that, that Fords were closing. And and if if I heard, I wouldn't have believed it because I couldn't see this this fantastic 
workplace going? It started in the body shop. So the body shop was where the whole thing started. And bit by bit, like, there was less cars coming out. So where you had ten cars an hour, it started with nine, eight. And as the weeks went by, it was maybe one car on its own, just moving along, creaking along in the lines. And it moving its way then into the paint shop and up into the trim line. And of course, we had, we had absolutely nothing to do. We were waiting for the car to come to work a little like. And it was really a real death knell of a plant. Like a plant that was so busy, that was so prosperous, that was everything was happening inside and it. The buzz was always there. There was always noise and machinery. There was people chattering, stuff being done. And then all of a sudden, there was just one car, one solitary car. Until eventually, there was absolutely none. There was not a car to be seen. And you were just looking at the chains moving. And there was nothing there. It was gone. So, no wonder that it would eventually make its way into song. And we've got Jimmy Crowley to thank for that, haven't we? Yeah, that's right, Jimmy wrote a song about Fords. Oh, come back, Henry Ford, to our land. When you were there, you gave us a helping hand. But now we're out of labour. We got no checks of paper that you used to shout, Henry Ford. And you came from Detroit, Henry Ford. The country boys came too, Henry Ford. But now we're at the rumpers, we're scrounging for our suppers. Oh, come back again, Henry Ford. For when you forsake us, all the pubs forsook us. Oh, come back again, Henry Ford. Since you shut down, Henry Ford. And then kind of concludes with Gus McLaughlin singing a song as well. But truth to tell, I'm wearing well and knocking out every times. But time moves on, our friends are gone, and the songs of the night will pass. So we'll drink to our health, tis our only wealth, when they're pulling us out on grass. Well, we leave the last word to Gus McLaughlin. And the lads, you managed to get the story told from the ground up, from its beginning to its highs, to its humours, to its nicknames, and to the eventual demise of, of the Ford story. But it's great that the story has been told by Frameworks Films. People can actually watch this story being retold again if they want to by going online. Isn't that right, Emma? That's right. We've begun to archive some of our collection. We've developed a YouTube channel. So if people want to go over to our website, which is www.frameworksfilms.com, and from there you can click on a link to our YouTube channel and, and slowly but surely we're adding all of the various films that we've worked on over the years to the channel. So we'd love if people would like to see the full piece and hear more of the men's experience to, to go over there and, and have a look at it. It's called Ford's Memories of the Line. Memories brought to life again by Frameworks Films. All I can do is thank thank you, Emma, and thank you, Eddie, for just devoting yourselves to stories that need to be told and retold stories that might have been otherwise lost and I suppose that's the story of Frameworks and we'll continue following this every week there's many more to be told cheers lads thanks again thanks Connor thanks again <laughs>